Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. These days, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries. And with that, we sent away good jobs and our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make all kinds of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more, right here in the USA. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs in towns and cities across the country. And jobs bring pride. Purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com. And get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. Welcome to Girl on the Gov, the podcast, breaking down politics as we know it and removing all the bullshit. <laughs> because politics needed a rebrand. <laughs> hey guys, welcome back to Girl on the Gov, the podcast. We're super excited for this episode as we're going to be diving into all things Supreme Court. And of course, Supreme Court hearings will be top of mind in this conversation. We are even more excited to welcome our guest, Alaya Lauren, who is a staff attorney at the Legal Aid Society. So without further ado, I'll hand it over. Yeah, so first we really just wanted to kind of get to know you and your role and what you do. I mean, you're a staff attorney at the Legal Aid Society of New York City. Um, so let's dive into that a little bit. Like, what is the Legal Aid Society and what kind of work do you all do? So the Legal Aid Society, I think, is one of, if not the oldest and largest nonprofit organization in like public defense in the country and specifically in New York. Um, we have a bunch of different practices. There's the criminal defense practice that I'm a part of, um, the public defenders. And then there's the juvenile rights practice that's public defenders, but for children um and then there's the civil practice there's a housing practice um there are a lot of immigration attorneys so it's a pretty full circle thing but i work in cdp i'm a public defender in queens so anybody who gets arrested in queens i'm one of the people who show up (laughs) amazing and so okay so working in criminal defense practice like what does that specifically entail and like what kind of cases come across your desk um, all the cases, um, assault, theft, uh, jumping a turnstile, drugs, whatever else they've decided to criminalize on any given day. Um, Fair. Yeah. So basically, it's just um, you get arrested in Queens. They take you through central booking, make your life miserable for, well, they, they start the beginning of a process of making your life miserable. Um, I show up at the court and I arraign you. I take the case from beginning to end. So I represent you in the criminal matter, but obviously whatever collateral consequences come with that. If you're an immigrant, you have immigration concerns. That's something we have to take into consideration. You have housing issues, which a lot of our clients do. These are poor people and homeless people. So that becomes an issue on the table, mental health resources. We tend to put um, our clients in contact with resources for that. So the whole thing, but basically it's handling your criminal case from beginning to end and the collateral consequences that come with that. And it's um, pro bono, right? You guys all do pro bono work? Yes. Yes, everybody, every poor person is entitled to an attorney, and mm-hmm. that's where we show up. Um, we're paid by legal aid pays us, but our clients, our clients do not pay us. Yeah. Got it. Wow. Well, Great. just generally, I feel like that job, you must see so many different layers of issues, um, and this year yes. probably has amped that up even more. So sort of on the yeah. end of, you know, criminal justice reform, the most, you know, one of the most topical elements that we're, you know, seeing this year and talking about, have you seen any particularly interesting cases transpire or um, just sort of interesting changes that have come your way as a result of what's been going on? So 
you know, we have had um, some reform and in general, I'm a little bit critical or a lot critical of reform because I don't think you can reform a system that's working exactly as it's intended to work. Um, so I really am an abolitionist for all, all, all intents and purposes. But um, for me, I think what I, people don't talk about enough, what I'd like to see in criminal justice reform is probably just public opinion. I think a lot of what um, prosecutors, police, judges, everybody's a lot, um, able to do is because people don't object to it. They either don't know about it or they, even if they hear about it, they have such a, a mythical idea of what is crime and what is a criminal that they, they aren't sympathetic. They think it's okay. They don't mind that these people's rights are being railroaded or that these messed up yeah. things are happening. So I think I want public opinion to change more. I think I want people to be more aware of what exactly the police get involved with, who they criminalize, what they criminalize. And as far as interesting cases, um, I tend to think generally all my cases are stupid because I don't think they should be there. You know, I don't. I don't yeah. think that the- Why so? Because I don't think the criminal law is the vehicle for um, change or helping these people. Nine times out of 10, what, yeah. actually 10 times out of 10, what's criminalized is poverty. That's where I come in. I only represent the poor, uh, which is the majority of the entire system. A lot of the things that they're there for are either normal things that people get into in regular everyday life, but they would never think the police would show up. Like, for example, I once represented a woman who was arrested like shortly after giving birth because like a woman, like some girl she doesn't get along with, they were like texting, the girl was like texting her, like talking crazy and she like cursed her out and they arrested this, this woman who just gave birth for aggravated harassment in their degree. But here's the thing, in the real seat, in the normal world, you can curse people out. You have no idea that the law gets involved. In yeah, especially when you're like, you just had a baby. Yeah. Like, give me a break. I remember seriously. seeing that. My hormones are going crazy. <laughs> yeah, and then you realize stuff like that makes you realize that anybody is a criminal if they decide to put a magnifying glass on you if you were the people they go after. Because I've cursed out many a person um oh, same. And, same, right. same same exactly <laughs> but those are the kinds of things and nonsense our clients get hauled in for or the amount of family squabbles is like you were fighting with your your mom your dad and I don't mean fighting like fist fighting I mean arguing you threw something in the house like regular teen drama police police show up mm -hmm. and now I think the biggest thing that irritates me about the um, my everyday job is mandatory orders of protection they they constantly make people homeless like anytime so say you both get into an argument, doesn't matter what it is, what the case is, whatever's the fight, whatever it's about, because there are two of you, one of whoever the accusation was made against, they're gonna put out order of protection against that person. So even if she doesn't want it, so even now say she talks to you a hundred times, she's the one with the order or whatever. If you reply one time, you get rearrested. Um, they'll charge you with criminal contempt. It doesn't matter if she was trying to talk to you. It doesn't matter if she showed up at your house. None of that matters. And if y'all live together, say all the roommates, which happens all the time, now you're homeless because it's some stupid petty case. You didn't realize that this is how the criminal system goes. You didn't think, oh, if I call the police or this happens, now you're homeless. And imagine you're in New York. You have enough problems in the first place. This tends to be how you end up in any altercation as it is, let alone now you're homeless, now you're this, now you have an open criminal case, how are you gonna get a job, the money? It's just a spiral. You have an address. Exactly, yeah. so it's just a constant spiral of putting people who are already in a hard position through more, um, just through more stuff and then being surprised that they're not able to get it together or get on their feet, but it's because you're constantly putting barriers in their place that make it impossible. So, you know, I'm anti, you know, the whole um, reform conversation because it just tends to be more and more making of laws that will be used negatively against my clients at some point. I'm really just, I want to change public opinion and I want to remove some of the power that prosecutors and legislators and judges have in the first place. Yeah, yeah. that's so interesting. And like definitely leads me to my next question because I feel like your work is very, I don't know, intentional and in like what, why you're doing it. And I kind of want to hear more about that and like what inspired you to not only become an attorney, but I feel like people go to law school, it's a very prestigious job and people kind of are in it for different reasons. Yeah. But you're like doing this like work on the ground with people like who really need it. Yeah. And I think representing the job in the way it's like the reason why people should want to be an attorney, like I feel like that's why you're doing it, which is amazing. So what really inspired you to not only be an attorney, but then to work for legal aid? Um, well, I always wanted to be an attorney um, just since I was a little kid, the cliche answer. Um, I'm from the Bahamas and my Grammy told me that she saw me being a lawyer in the States. And so I convinced my parents to let me move to the U.S. in high school. Oh, yeah, wow. because I knew it would be a lot more difficult for me if I um, acclimated to the U.S. system later. So I moved here in the 10th grade. 
to be a lawyer. And so I, that was always the mission and always the focus. And then why I wanted to be a public defender was because two things. I was writing my thesis in undergrad about, I wrote my thesis is called Colored Bodies Matter, the relationship between our bodies and power. And so I was writing about um, all this discrimination in the system and the way Black people are criminalized and, you know, the Fourth Amendment and stop and frisk, all this. And I remember one of my thesis advisors pointed out to me that I'm a gap scholar, which she didn't mean it offensively, she, but it's someone who points out and identifies, you know, problems and areas that need development. Um, but they're not necessarily offering solutions, which is fine. This is a necessary area of scholarship. But I remember thinking, yeah, that's true. And that's probably not good enough. I don't just want to be a black person that is a lawyer just to say I am as a like symbolic one. I would want to help um, black people because we're overrepresented in the prison industrial complex, but we're underrepresented in terms of representation. So it was important yeah. to me for um, the only black people in the court, I don't want them to be the defendant. And then um, beyond that, I just think I don't think I don't go into my job thinking I'm doing God's work. I'm not. Um, all of the negative things I think are outrageous about the criminal system are going to keep being outrageous every day. The wheel keeps turning and I can't get rid of all those things, but I can at least um, help my clients in terms of letting them feel validated and know they're being fought for and impact that individual experience they have because I think people, the moment that they're caught up in the criminal system, that is a dehumanizing experience, especially as a Black person um, in this country. And so the very least I can do is make that better, that aspect of it. So that's my approach to it. So that's the long and short of it. <laughs> well, good answer. Um, yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> to clubs, but I think to your point, the, the whole concept of also just humanizing people, I feel like that's just such an element that's missing out of every conversation. Yeah. It's like, there's a system and yes, it's designed with like intention and not necessarily good intentions, but it's impacting actual people, the people that you talk to on a day to day or people that you like walk down the street and chat with. Yes. And it's like, just because they live in a certain area or do a certain thing, like doesn't mean that they're not human or that they don't deserve rights or something like that. So I exactly. think you're putting a really important point out there um, as well. And we definitely want to capture. Which is the most basic like part of it, which really should be the first yeah. thing you think of is like, okay, wait, that's another human. Like, let me give them a little empathy first. Right. But that's the point. People um, don't I think, think of them yeah. as that. They think they hear criminal and they, they disassociate that from person and me and you and my family. Yeah. That's some other. That's why, that's why yeah. prisons are where they are. You know, they don't place prisons right in the middle of the community for a reason. They want it to be outside. So you think of it as this thing I don't really have to think of. And these people are like a foreign element to you. Like, oh, no, no, no. That's Oh my God, totally. a separate plight that's such an interesting point because yeah. i even think about like when i go on a road trip and i drive past a prison i'm like oh, there's a prison. exactly <laughs> it's like well, exactly yeah that's actually such an interesting yeah thing. i've never yeah. thought because imagine that. if you could if you could see them all the time if it was in your face or you're thinking about it you'd yeah. feel like i um i'm a legal observer and i was observing a protest sometime this summer and it was at um, a correctional facility in Brooklyn and all of the inmates in solidarity with the protests were like banging on the windows, you know, so you could hear them wow. and you know, well, these are real people that are in these cells. If that yeah. kind of thing existed on your day to day, you would feel a lot more radicalized against the criminal system and most people would. And that's exactly what they don't want, you know? Yeah, yeah. it's situational yeah. architecture and it's any of those systems are definitely built with intention. Yes. Um, you know, it's just the way that you have a city hall in the center of town and you have other buildings, certain architectural styles that are very, very powerful looking. It's obviously, it's done with the idea that, hey, this is supposed to be scary. It's supposed to have some type of intimidation factor and whatnot. Yeah. So I think it's interesting to think about in terms of actual jails as well, that yeah. yes, that is super intentional. It's not, it's not hanging around the town green. Exactly. Not, you know, it doesn't have pretty roses outside of it. It's it's done it's a, for with a purpose. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but we also kind of really wanted to get your take on everything going on um, regarding, you know, RBG's passing and SCOTUS and the Senate hearings we're kind of getting through right now. Um, and we first kind of want to start off with our segment um, called I Have a Stupid Question <laughs> because I feel like a lot of people don't know enough about the Supreme Court of the United States. Um, and so you know, we definitely want to ask you some kind of like basic questions, at least to find get a foundational understanding before we really dive in. Um, but to start, what does 
SCOTUS do, Supreme Court do, and how does it differ from our regular court system and, you know, the criminal justice system? Well, they're a court of last resort. Um, The Supreme Court doesn't, except in rare cases, have what is called original jurisdiction. They're not the first to hear the case. It's the last resort. After it's moved all the way up into the system, if there is some constitutional basis, it gets to the court. Um, And the Supreme Court's job is to interpret the Constitution. That's the that's the nutshell yeah (laughs) i like that though the court of last resort yes Um, yeah interesting but it's so true because it's it really is a process and getting it all the way up there yes uh all right and so for our next question what are the levels of the federal court system and how do cases make it all the way up there to the court of last resort yes exactly (laughs) district courts um it's the district courts with the trial level courts and then the circuit courts which are the appellate courts and then the supreme court yeah if you make it all the way through there which most things do not um then it'll get to the court if they choose they vote to hear where do things usually stop like when you think about kind of regular cases like where um about uh yeah probably so district is a trial level everything most things i'd say people probably exhaust their right to appeal so it's probably going to make it to um the circuit courts the appellate level and not make it to the supreme court they're going to decline what kind of cases are handled in the supreme court so as they move up like what would be an example of some cases that the supreme court would take on any and everything if there is even the slightest bit um a constitutional basis for anything um i'm trying i I wish i could remember the ridiculous um cases that were in front of the supreme court that i read in law school like what why um (laughs) but anything because basically the supreme court can choose what 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 the actual legal thing is that there has to be an actual issue or controversy but as long as there is any constitutional basis which there pretty much always is as a u.s constitution if you they can choose to hear it so literally anything it's not always wow. serious. Yeah. <laughs> the world is your oyster with that, I guess, for yes. better or for worse. <laughs> exactly. But isn't it rare for, like, criminal cases to, like, go to the Supreme Court? Isn't it more just like, okay, I feel like my rights have been infringed on, that's when it makes it up? Um. Yeah, criminal cases, they tend to. I know there's always, like, um there, there tends to be some kind of last-ditch effort to make them there. There have been some lot, lots of lots of criminal cases um there in some capacity so we end up with so much fourth amendment law um which is one of the most expansively <laughs> written about um areas of law um but lots of cases that's where we get actually that's that's where i exist gideon gideon versus wayne's right is um where we got the whole right to a public defender and that's through a case mm-hmm. um getting to the supreme court and then ruling on whether or not because it was never an issue right it was never an issue before the court um and then it was in that case of whether or not by not having an attorney, you know, he his rights were violated and the court found, yeah, he has a right to a, an attorney, every person, every poor person, yada, yada, yada. So yeah, lots of cases, lots of uh, criminal cases make it there too. It just probably is only, only as much of a topic of discussion amongst people within the criminal law. Yeah. Interesting. And how is the how is the Supreme Court justice appointed, and how long is their term? Forever and a day till they decide. <laughs> a whole, yeah. you know, picked by a president, the whole congressional process approved, yada yada yada. Then there for forever till their dying day. Um, yeah, forever lifetime tenureship. <laughs> like should okay, we'll get into this later. <laughs> well, don't get me started. <laughs> but um, so. Next, what we have, we have who decides how many justices are on the court and have there always been nine? Like, how does No, it started with six. Um, Congress has to pass a Judiciary Act to change the amount. So it has changed. People act now like it's impossible, like, oh, my God, but it's it's changed like multiple times. <laughs> um, yeah. So Congress would just have to pass an act, which and when I say just, I'm obviously acknowledging it's not that simple because obviously everybody and their yeah. mama is going to fight them. <laughs> yeah, these days that's that's an impossible task. Yeah. It seems like getting anything through Congress. People tend to think if something is normal to them or it's all that they know that that's all that there is, and any any suggestion to change it is like hugely preposterous. Like, good God! And people are so, they're very committed to um, schools of thought that they're not even particularly engaged in. Right? Like the average person is not really checking for the Supreme Court. They don't know what's happening with it. They're not invested in it. They don't know these people or anything like that. But suddenly 
they hear the concept of expanding and they're like, Jesus, all democracy, <laughs> red and white. Um, I feel yeah, like that's the yeah. same way with um, the Constitution, too. People are like, my rights written in the Constitution. It's like, but do you right. even know what the amendments say? Have you Ask read it? It's like the fifth Ask grade. Ask them to say it. Ask them. Like, yeah. it's, it's, it's always ridiculous, too. Or they say thing my favorite is when they're like, the Second Amendment is under this, uh, is under siege. And I'm like, there's barely any case law. Like, they, the Supreme Court barely ever touches, interprets, does anything with this amendment because y'all start making all this noise. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so they, they always do that. It's ridiculous. Um, for our last question here, how do Supreme Court judges make decisions? Is it their opinion on the matter? Is it public opinion? What really comes into play here? Um, okay, depends on who who you ask. Um, <laughs> who we're talking to. Right, I'm gonna tell you. Okay, so I wouldn't say it's public, it's not public opinion, and I wouldn't, I'd give them um, a little bit more, I'd be more fair to them that it's not always their opinion, but it tends to be uh, Supreme Court justices, like every judge has their own kind of jurisprudence, meaning like how they go about interpreting cases. So it's basically what kind of school of thought that they belong to. Um, I was... Typically, it's sometimes there's a thing. They try to say, oh, it's my school of thought. I'm an originalist and I'm this and I'm blah, 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 blah. It's when you realize on cases where they go completely off the rails um, that you're like, oh, no, no, no. That's just how you feel. Like, so I want to say, oh, it's their um, their school of thought, like whether or not they're an originalist or they believe the Constitution is a living, breathing document or they're a textualist. But sometimes they just go off the rails. So I think sometimes you, what you see from them is what you see from people, which is, you know, I think Bill Burr says it. People come up with an opinion and they go to imright.com. They find a school of thought to make it make sense. Yeah. And a lot of, I think, justices, um, they have an opinion. They have a political opinion or however they feel on a particular area. And then they interpret it. They interpret the law. They interpret the Constitution to to bend to that. Because I've seen it happen. I have um, one of my uh, former constitutional law professors who I really love, but he's a conservative um, and I am not. Um, but <laughs> he, I remember the Second Amendment is written away, written in a way in which you could probably read it out of existence, right? And they actually interpreted it because it's like, in order to form a more perfect militia, da 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 da. You know, it's it's literally conditioned on all yeah. these things and are, are no longer the society that we live in. Um, right. That's why you have this right. It's not this unadulterated. I don't know why people think the Second Amendment says I have a right to all the guns and you can't pass a single regulation on it. That's not what yeah. it says. Um, but I remember when I was pointing out to him, like, you know, if you read this textually and based on originalism, this right don't exist no more. And he was like, oh, but allow me. That's true. He was like, you should think of a reliance method, which is this idea that we rely on this right. Like, we've had it for so long. The um, Americans and people understand themselves to have this constitutional right. You shouldn't read the Constitution in a way um, that would read that right of, out of existence, which would sound fair and plausible on its face until we suddenly start talking about, you know, the right to abortion and all of a sudden it's a little, you know what I mean? All of a sudden we're getting real textualist. Yeah. And I'm like, what about, you know, a reliance theory on this right people have relied on all of a sudden that doesn't exist. So it seems that that, like that that leads me to believe it's just a matter of interpreting things to their fancy because it's not yeah. consistent. And it makes sense. And I also, I just yeah. feel like just circling back to the constitution itself, it's so vague in many ways that it's like you could make a case for anything right and they do and exactly so it's sort of a little i feel like that's where this whole even supreme court thing gets so touchy because people are so worried that someone's going to apply their own opinion in any way they see fit because they kind of can yeah. the way that it's written um right so i i like i definitely like kind of have that in mind i'm like okay well this judge has xyz political views they are obviously great at arguing and understand a way to manipulate a case. So why wouldn't they do the same here? They're not just going right. to be like, you know what, in this particular position, I am totally going to be able to remove my entire life's worth of biases. I don't know how you kind of do that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, that's interesting too, because I wanted to bring this up later, but I guess it kind of goes with what we're saying. But the, yeah, this question of like, they say they're impartial. Um which I think as humans, like, don't we all know that we're not right. ever impartial? <laughs> right. <laughs> like, I mean, I appreciate it. I appreciate the attempt. But um, I mean, especially kind of looking at some of these Senate hearings um, of, you know, the nominee saying that, 
you know, she is impartial. Would not let her personal, yeah, about not things let her she's personal opinion. express viewpoints about in a gang's written paper. Written, but yeah, I know it's ridiculous. Yeah. So <laughs> I mean, I don't know. But the other side of it that I'm curious about too, especially in these times when these judges, I don't know. I'm just wondering whether in these like kind of tumultuous times when there are confirmation hearings and things get very politicized, I kind of sometimes wonder if we're almost fear-mongered into thinking that they're going to put their personal opinion in things. Yeah. Like, you know, and if there's sometimes a time when we need to, like, step back and realize that, okay, these are actually, regardless of whether we agree with them or not, you know, these are well-renowned, like, judges who have kind of sworn to be impartial right. and usually take pride in that is there sometimes we need to give a little bit of a break and like take the politics away from these judges who are supposed to be not political and it's supposed to be our not political like branch of our government sometimes sometimes right i i do think there is a difference between um a judge or a person's uh political like what are no a judge a judge's political opinion and their jurisprudence right and maybe those don't align yeah. i feel like you should look at them both but um in the case of an amy coney barrett um first of all she's only been a judge for like three years like i i want i want to there's an argument to be made about the general level um of qualifications yeah. there but in that she has the things people are worried about with her, she's actively given them all the reason to be worried. Like, I remember when Kavanaugh was happening, uh, beyond all of the many ways in which he's an egregious um, selection. <laughs> but, I, <laughs> but I remember looking at his, his jurisprudence, like, and remember, like, reading something from him where he wasn't, um, he basically was like, Roe versus Wade is like settled law or something like that. He had said something to the indication to suggest, you know, maybe he does respect a certain level of precedent um, jurisprudentially than he does politically. That's not the same for old girl. She's she's yeah. out here like, ooh, <laughs> I'm finna take it all. None of that is okay. Nobody's right. Yeah. Pro this. So I understand um, the fair and I understand it. Not to say I'm in my house freaking out myself because I anticipate a certain level of egregious behavior um, from politicians <laughs> and just politics. But no, I see why people are actually upset. Like every time I read something about her record of views or everything. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, this is, even down to, for example, Amy and um, Kavanaugh both worked down in Florida, um, basically during, uh, I think, Bush and Gore, trying to stop ballots from being counted, you know? So in like a time like now, right, where we have a president that is, there's every reason to believe that he is not going to take a loss sitting down or is gonna try to fight this and engage in all kinds of voter suppression tactics. When in my mind, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be shocked if post-election immediately some Republican governor sues, um, you know, files a lawsuit to stop the ballot counting and they take it all the way up to the Supreme Court. At that point, they've already got um, Amy confirmed. Now they have her and Kavanaugh. Now we've got a split decision to do some nonsense, very Bush feet bore. So I wouldn't, I see the reason. I see the legitimate reason for panic and fear here. Not to say I share it, but I see it. Yeah. 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 Well, we can get into the topic of Amy Coney Barrett a little <laughs> bit, but we did want to just kind of transition into, I don't know, this kind of reoccurring news story that's happened since RBG has passed and first kind of acknowledge her yes. and like what her passing really meant. Obviously, she's a legend and she did so much for women. But aside from that and the kind of the drama that came after her passing, like, can you explain kind of why that is and why the death was such a big deal? Um, it's, I mean, it's a big deal, obviously, because many people love RBG, yeah. you know what I mean? She's an icon for so many people. Um, so in and of itself, there is going to be, um, that's significant, right? She's, she's this major, um, figure. So that's the one. But then the two is that in her death now becomes this opportunity to replace her with somebody that's obviously going to not mirror her, her, um, her stances, her jurisprudence, which is, you know, what we're seeing now. So I think what people are really worried about is RBG did like monumental things, right? Like, you know, uh, what is it? United States versus Virginia, um, all her work with like women's rights, like establishing intermediate scrutiny for women. She's done a lot in that capacity. And so to fill her seat with someone that has the exact opposite um, intention, that is concerning because obviously what happens in the Supreme Court 
isn't small. It impacts it impacts the country and it impacts it for a long time. Like we said, people who sit on the court sit on the court for their whole life. Um, that is a long time in which they're able to establish precedent and you know chart uh, chart you know the direction of where we're going in terms of civil liberties. So that's why people are really really concerned when she died. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. I mean, I think it's really crazy to think she put so much time, so much effort, I mean, her whole entire career into really moving things forward, only to then see someone put into her role to bring everything backwards. Exactly. Which always, like, to me is such an interesting thing of, like, women not necessarily being their own best advocates, which always shocks me. It's like you would think, why aren't you voting for your best interests? Why aren't you putting forward your best interests? Even her, the, uh, for Amy Coney Barrett, I think it's interesting. It's like her ability to even be in this position is a result of RBG. Internalized misogyny. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. People, people internalize. That's the thing. People forget like racism, misogyny, all these terrible things that are pervasive in our societies aren't pervasive by accident. They're pervasive because they're wielded into our TV, our media, our everything, how we're, how we're um, brought up. And so women are just as capable of internalizing the same nonsense, if not more than men, because often what will happen is if you find yourself often, especially as a woman in a room full of men, you might, who are doing their best to gatekeep and keep as many women out, you might find that it's to your personal advantage to um, adopt viewpoints and policies and stuff that are, make it negative for women as a whole and for other women like you, but you think that it'll help you get through the door so you do it. And it's selfish and it's small and it's stupid, but I understand how it comes to be. Yeah. And I think the other notable thing about losing her, even just obviously, you know, I think this is something we had to foresee at some point, but even her replacement and considering what that would look like. She was somebody who could work with like both sides and be able to compromise and um, kind of be a figure in that sense as well, which now we're almost like completely just disregarding that and disrespecting that. I feel like by throwing somebody in, that's not only the complete opposite of her and her views, but you know, I mean, we'll see how, Amy Coney Barrett does, but RBG was such like was somebody who could really work with everyone and made an effort to do so. And now we're kind of like That's how yeah. they do it. That's how they do it. They gave Thurgood Marshall's seat to Clarence Thomas. So yeah, they it's 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 a um it's a very disrespectful game of ident- identity politics. It's basically like diminishing everything that a person is substantive, some substantively and everything that they did and everything that they represent and making it like, as long as I give you some somebody that is this thing, like a white woman or a black man, then yeah. it's fine. It's whatever. And it's not. So it's like that with Clarence Thomas is extremely to the right and I'll spare you the less nice words that could be said <laughs> about him but that's what they replaced their good with, and they went and pulled out the extreme opposite R- rbg and it's a it's a means of being dis- disrespectful and we're, we're in the age of polarizing politics right like obviously what they're in it for is the extreme level of just how much it's going to infuriate anybody that supports um that side yeah. of the camp so no it's it's infuriating i understand exactly why people are annoyed right. pissed yeah, even that's it's a good point, though, the identity politics and the symbolism behind it, that often in this, it's more a game of that than actually even what decisions that justice might even make at yes. the end of the day. It's really like, well, this is our point, um, and we're here to just kind of stand with it. So right. take it or leave it. Yeah. yeah like, we gave you a woman. Yeah. What more do you want? <laughs> That's oh, my gosh. The second, the second they announced Amy Conner Barrett, I was like, Huh, okay. I see exactly how they're gonna play this. I know exactly the PR spin that's going mm-hmm. around this. Like, well, yeah, we did I this. I thought you were a feminist. Thing, so Why aren't you like, supporting this woman? Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's it's because they're, they're anticipating everyone's response and then being able to like sort of shame them into some type of silence. Yeah, it's it's literally just it's just a it's just a matter of aha. Like that's what it is to me. It's just one big aha game, mm-hmm. like, oh, you thought. It's all you know so what I mean? Petty. You wanted this, we got we gave you this. It's petty. Yes. <laughs> Okay, well, removing <laughs> yeah. the petty and, like, the high school <laughs> level of this out of it, um, in terms of RBG herself, was she an inspiration to you? Were there other um, women in the courts as well that in your own sort of um, career and getting everything going uh, that were particular inspirations? You know what? No, but it's just because no one really is. From, I don't really have, first of all, I'm a black woman and I'm an immigrant. So I have a very um, unique position and unique perspective on, um, I don't feel like I really had a, 
a hero in that sense. But I've always, I, I understand exactly why people love her, why they respect her. As a matter of fact, my uh, my colleague Shauna is the one who wrote the Notorious RBG book. Yeah. Like, I get it. I've um, and my pre law advisor actually, Larry Heyman. I should shout him out. He loves him some RBG <laughs> <laughs> from undergrad. So, so I've I've always respected other people's love for her, and I see it. Um, and to me, it's like I get who she's an inspiration for and why and. She is not, I'm not necessarily their target audience and that's fine. Everybody has their, their queen, their king. And I see why um, she is theirs. But no, no, I'm probably going to be like that. Like when I have children, I'm going to be that old lady that's constantly telling you like, oh, when I was an immigrant, you know, like giving my children a hard time. Like it's so like, I'm, 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 I'm more so focused. I'm so focused on, on my immigration situation. I don't have the time to like, like love and have any one individual champion because I've always been in that position of trying to get into law school as an immigrant and trying to do this as an immigrant and trying to do this. It was very hard to feel inspired by people that didn't have that particular yeah. plight because that's just my focus. But no, she's a big deal. I I get it. And I think, um, I actually went to see the RBG movie, I want to say like a year ago with my friend, my colleague Marisol and like six other women and they were in love, okay? <laughs> they walked out of there like we saw, like we saw Beyonce's homecoming for the first time, okay? They were, and they were like six, five of them weren't even, they're not weren't lawyers, they weren't in law school. They just felt super inspired by her. So I get that and that's important um, for people like that, um, for people to have people, you know? Yeah. So she's a big deal, but I don't, I don't think I have, I don't have one. Like, I like a lot of justices in terms of, you know, different cases they've made just from a nerd level. Like, Sotomayor is a big deal. Thurgood Marshall is a big deal. Um, I like RBG. Um, I like to laugh at Scalia descents. <laughs> he's he's so dramatic. He's so, people don't give Scalia enough credit as a comedian genius. He's ridiculous. He's, he's, so, he's, he's so ridiculous. The nonsense he says, he writes descents, like, personally attacking the majority. Like, he's like, oh... One dissent, I swear to you, Scalia said the, the majority is doing nimble gymnastics trying to make that make sense. I was like, I was like, is this a roast? Um, so Get him on comedy. Scalia is always hilarious to me. <laughs> you know, he's he is a real clown. He'd be giving me all the jokes. He once called something. He called the committees um, in Congress Junior Varsity Congress, <laughs> and I thought that was oh so my funny. God, I love that. Yeah, he's childish. He's so childish. Um, <laughs> but obviously, the worst when he's ready. Yeah. So, um, so I tend to look at him like that. I, I try. I try to look at politicians and judges as people that I cannot 100% agree with. I don't want to look at them as like yeah. Beyonce, like someone, because then you're going to find yourself having a hard time trying to reconcile yourself and justify when they do something you just fundamentally yeah, don't agree true. with. So if I just don't fangirl over yeah. them, I can just agree and disagree. That's a like. great, honestly, yeah. framework to think about, especially people in politics, um, because there's no reason that we should be obsessed with anybody in that realm, because then that just means that you're probably just going to follow exactly what they think and you're not going to be able to form your own opinions. You're not exactly. going to be able to be, you're going to just be loyal to somebody that might not really represent you, but you become like stuck in that. That's such a good point. We should not idolize exactly. these people in that way. Right. Or just accept like you like them. Right. Yeah. You could just say like. I like them, but I'm, I'm, you know, I reserve the right to disagree with them where I do. Exactly. Like, I'm that like, needs... I'm, yeah, that's what it is. It's like, I know me, I, you know, I love me. I'm in my own body and I've read papers I've written in college. Like, Ooh, I do not agree <laughs> with that. That whole paper is like a 10 page <laughs> yeah. paper. And I'm like, Ooh, no, sweetie. Why'd you think that? You know? So yeah. I try to remember that to remind myself, like, I cannot possibly agree with and like every politician of their agenda previous or current a hundred percent you know i can't i don't yeah. like uh, my own previous and current agenda a hundred percent at a time so yeah um you know i try to remember i think people get caught up and they think they need they think if they declare that they like a particular politician or they like a judge or they like somebody it means they have to say they like everything that they do right. and then they stress themselves out trying to engage in that level of fandom when you could just be like no that wasn't the move you know yeah. like sometimes i'm like j cole is my it's favorite so rapper true. the other day he got on my nerves. Like, yeah. so. That's so true. <laughs> we definitely yeah. lose sight of that. And I think especially with politics and especially with how polarized things are now, when if you you don't have to be loyal to a political party or to a specific politician, if they do something that's not in line or not correct or not right, like right. on a scale, like you need to stand up against it. And that's just right. you're making yourself a pawn. You're making yourself honestly weak if you can't hold these people that even if you like, even if you consider them an idol, you still need to be able to hold people accountable yes. and realize that we're all human. We're not always going to be right. And we can correct each other. 
right it can be it shouldn't like, be about it shouldn't be about their views i think people forget that politicians are just supposed to be your representatives they're just supposed to be right. vehicles to you getting through the change and the policy and the viewpoints you want to see it shouldn't be about like them telling you what it is think. you know exactly yeah. and consuming that but people get caught up in that and with good reason um so yeah you know i i try to be i try to be mindful of that the only person i like ride or die for is lizzo I think I'll fight somebody for Lizzo. <laughs> yeah, hey, I love her. Honestly, we're I, all right there. I, I, her, I love her. I don't know why. I love her. her. I was just about to content. say that voting content. It's everything we need. That's my boo. I love. I fully. I swear to y'all. I if if I could move this, y'all would see my Lizzo portrait above my TV. That's my, that is my that is my boo. Okay, like oh I see gosh. Lizzo and I'm like, ooh, I, I love feel that. it. Like, yes, <laughs> she's a powerhouse. We love her too. Yeah. Um. Well, we love tangents too. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's like actually the name of the story of our lives. But um, we did want to kind of like transition from RBG into like where we're at now. And I mean, yes. even just looking at, you know, these conversations of lifetime appointments and then also, you know, RBG you know, people kind of criticizing why she didn't step down when Obama was in term and like this kind of political conversation that comes with mm-hmm. our Supreme Court. So I don't know. Do you think that like this could have helped keep the balance of the court or would this have landed like a Merrick Garland 2.0 situation if like she would have stepped down um, under Obama? What do you think about kind of all of that? It's it's just seems too strategic to me. But I mean, yeah. I think it, I, listen, I think it's a legitimate critique. I understand um, where people are coming from with it. Like if she had done it in the first um, term or at different points earlier, I get it. But, you know, it should have could have would have. It, it didn't happen. Right. And it's, a, you know, at the end of the day, like, what do you want from the woman? There are other, there are other avenues and there are other means to, we shouldn't live, we shouldn't have a system where, you know, the fate of the next 30, 40 years is on, you know, these nine people and right. this one person. That, like, if we recognize how terrifying that position is to be in, we should probably do something about that position, right? Like, let's do something about, you know, how the court is set up and how many people are on the court or whatever it is so that we don't feel this, like, terrifying fear. We don't need to be hypothesizing about what an aging you know dying lady should have done to save the whole country you know so yeah. i get it i get it from both sides i get the i get exactly what is the critique on you know why she didn't do it and you know she should have done it and it put us in a better position but i also understand the other perspective of like all right let's not put all this on this one woman you know she thought these would be the circumstances and in fairness you know i've heard rbg thought hillary would win and you know yeah, what i was me just too. about to say that me too <laughs> right? me, you know what? didn't I, we all I wanna, yeah i want to pretend like like it's very easy to give her flag now but like there was a time when i thought it was unbelievable you know right. that trump could i remember when when trump was projected i listen i wanted so badly for hillary to be as evil as they say she is so i could have woken up to like i really thought i was like all right i saw it and i was like they say Hillary is a mastermind. So I'm going to wake up and somehow she's going to be the winner. Like they will pull off. <laughs> yeah. I was like, they're going to, I really thought they were going to be a that. I was, I was waiting. I was, I was like, this isn't something. actually, this isn't actually what's happening. I couldn't believe it. The electoral college it. is going to vote against him. Like we're going to be fine. <laughs> like, I've had trust issues since 2016. Oh I don't listen to polls. Oh I don't God. trust, I don't trust polls. Polls Same betrayed me. Polls betrayed me so deeply. I remember that night so well. I sped home from family law when I realized that they were losing Michigan. And I was like, oh, my chest. Like, I got home and I was like, oh, I was like, oh, it's dire. Um, so, oh my God. no. Mm-mm. Me and Polls. I'm not even looking night. at them. <laughs> um, where are we, though? We wanted oh to, okay. We talked about RBG. Now we are in these Senate hearings to replace her um, yes. with Amy Coney Barrett, who. There's a lot to be said, um, but the confirmation hearings are kind of on track to really appoint her. I think we're we're getting close to that day, and obviously she's very conservative. She's very religious. She has views that are not fully in line with honestly the majority of the country. Um, however, in her hearings, like we said, like she has either evaded questions or asked, you know, or said completely ridiculous things. Like she can't engage hypotheticals. Yes, Imagine yes. you said that you're like. I don't know if y'all went to law school, but if you did, you know that's the most ridiculous thing you've ever heard in your life. Yeah, like right. It's like a rapper telling you he can't he can't hear a beat. Like like it's like what? Yeah, my friend is in law school right now, and she was like, and she was telling me how her whole 
her whole like education it's is literally about all hypotheticals. you do no it's literally it's quite literally all you do people don't know yeah. like law school is nothing but your exam it's not like questions like the law whatever yeah. it's like a long hypothetical, hypothetical. Yeah. and you answer the hypothetical so when she said that i about collapsed i said oh this is this is an alternate universe i'm living in and we low-key our- like loved the moment when she couldn't say the first amendment oh it, that gave me life no that gave me life <laughs> I was like, oh, look at that. I was like, look at, yeah. look at excellence. Her yeah. and her, I'm not taking no notes. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Those oh memes where God. it's like, do not, do not hold up an followed. empty piece of paper and expect internet not to go crazy. <laughs> like, right. Be, be super impressed with oneself. I'm like, you don't yeah. have notes. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, so she's been evading questions and then also just trying to like reassure her that she does not let her personal views sway her decisions on the court, which we've gone into, but I don't know. Now talking about kind of what's at stake here, like, is Roe v. Wade threatened if slash when at this point Amy Coney Barrett is confirmed? And, you know, I guess we'll start there. What, how do you feel about Roe and everything? Um, So, you know, for for yes and no, right? Like, yes, because anything, there has to be an actual issue or controversy, meaning they can't just decide on Roe versus. They can't just be like, let's talk about Roe versus Wade today and get rid of that. They have yeah, to have I think some that's a case. misconception too. Yeah, people, people tend realize. to think that. Yeah. yeah, what actually has to happen is on some state level or some other lower level, there has to be some challenge to some other law or policy, like some state, which I'm sure is going to happen, right? Some right-wing state is going to make some try to close all the abortion clinics and then someone is going to sue and then that's going to go all the way up to the Supreme Court. Then, then it's threatened. You know what I mean? Because then at that point yeah. with a court, with a court that is okay with doing that, which will, the one we're going to be looking at, they can say, oh, oh, that's fine because Roe versus Wade was unconstitutional, you know, and reverse that precedent. So they could do it. Um, so it is, it, it, it is threatened. How likely it is to happen. Um, you know, before initially, like I wasn't so worried about it when um, Kavanaugh appeared. And that was because I, at that point I was like following which cases, which like abortion laws were getting challenged and going up to the court and none of them um, had an issue so broad. I thought that they could decide on it, but you know, now shoots. Um, anything could happen. I think the fair is legitimate now. Mm-hmm. Okay, so say it is threatened and potentially overturned. Mm-hmm. Um, what would abortion access look like? Would that be abortions now against the law, across the land? How do, how would that work and what would that look like? So what would happen is if they if Roe versus Wade was over, um, overturned, then it would be that you don't have a constitutional right to an abortion, which would mean that states are free to block or allow it as they please. So what would happen is every right, you know, Republican state is going to get rid of it. They're going to make it illegal. But they, the problem with that is you, it's not going to stop happening. They're going to be abortions. Now they're just going to be unsafe. They're going to be lots of worse um, conditions for women. It'll, it'll still exist in other states. And they, it'll just become a whole exercise of criminalizing women's health care, right? Because now you're going to see all kind of laws where some women cross the state lines to go to another state to have an abortion. And now they're trying to prosecute her and all this nonsense. And you're going to see stuff like that. So with that, um, that would be, you know, you could be charged for going across state lines to get an abortion. I'm one. sure someone will try it. I'm sure, yeah. I'm sure it'll happen. Like, absolutely. I'm not, that wouldn't shock me at all because I mean, originally, right. Roe versus Wade is where we get our original right to abortion. Right. But that's not where the most like recent like abortion kind of guidelines, the right to abortion come. They come from Planned Parenthood versus Casey, um, and that in and of itself involves um, basically a bunch of different things that the court is determining whether or not it's an undue burden on a woman's right to abortion. So things like originally states had tried to pass laws like, oh, you need to get your husband's consent before you could have an abortion. And the Supreme Court said in Planned Parenthood versus Casey that, you know, that's too much of a burden, but they're like, oh, for a mind, they could have a 24 hour waiting period, or they could have all these different little stipulations. So yeah, states, they were always doing that. They were always in the business of trying to set up all these little other roadblocks to the right. So they're absolutely going to do that. They wouldn't be able to wait. So yeah. Yeah. On the edge of their seats. Mm -hmm. Change it. Waiting to do masks because they be doing it all the time, like all the time, just making people's life harder. They have a bunch of little. um, Oh, Lord, I'd written about it. Um, But there are a few states that have passed laws uh, trying to like prevent with like certain providers from being able to do abortions, like these like arbitrary rules to doing it and putting these time periods on and all this other nonsense. So they'll do it. Yeah, it will be. It'll become a process. You'll see why the criminal law using the criminal law to correct and deal with everything is so problematic, because that's where you're going to see women, women being criminalized for their reproductive health decisions. 
Interesting. Yeah. Do you think that we'll see more states trying, especially blue states, trying codify Roe versus Wade? Yeah. Or even any maybe purple states that are like just happen to be flowing a little bit more blue? Um, or do you think it's kind of going to be the status quo of what we kind of have right now? They, um, they might, they probably, they might, um, and they, it might be, it might, it depends on, I guess, if they think it's worth their while, you know what I mean? Whether or not they think there's, um, their state is something that'll change, you know what I mean? There'll be some governance that'll try and object to it. Like, I don't see a place like New York feeling the need, you know, somewhere that they think is so... So deeply blue, but it, it could happen. But there definitely, there's definitely going to be a codification of the opposite. You're definitely going to see criminal laws put on the book um, about abortion. Oh boy, yeah. is all I can say. Uh, I know another <laughs> topic related to the conversation with this whole hearing has been the ACA, which yeah. is, I feel like, especially the Democrats' buzzword when it's been coming to this nomination and even this election in general, given that we're in a pandemic and. COVID, healthcare, those things kind of go hand in hand. But why exactly is ACA threatened? I know it's more complicated than just one blank law, but maybe you could walk us through sort of what's going on there. They're constantly, um, I can't even believe the Affordable Care Act is still like, they're not borders yet, but they're constantly, <laughs> um, <laughs> they're constantly finding some new provision in this long provisions to try and challenge the constitutionality of. So. I remember originally they were challenging, I think it was an individual mandate was struck down as like a violation of the commerce clause. Like it's very, it's all very nerdy and very um, nuanced. Like it's, it's nothing. It's just like, it's just like a Hail Mary attempt, really. It's like any way in which we could get this in front of the court and they could try and argue like, oh, um, I'd have to look into it again, but like, oh, if I have to give these people healthcare and they can use it for this particular kind of thing, then does that violate my my um, my right to my religion and yada, 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 or does this and does that? So, I mean, because it's a law and it cha it has a matter to do with like constitutional issues, yeah, it can make it to the Supreme Court and that's why they'll constantly keep doing that. Even though, you know, it's a policy, still a law like everything else. And if it has a constitutional issue there, if they raise one, if they claim that there's one, which they will so that they could get it there, um, that's what they'll do. Interesting. I think yeah. that also goes a little bit to the conversation we were having earlier about the potential sort of fear mongering over nominations, right? Like mm -hmm. it's so nuanced that like, I'm like, oh my gosh, the ACA is in danger, but I can't name why, right? So it's <laughs> right, like, yeah. there's enough conversation, there's enough verbiage, there's just enough essentially buzz around something that could potentially happen that it makes it into the round of every conversation but there's not actually enough focus on why or how or what's even what's even the likelihood right like what's yeah. the the precedent there of cases similar to this that would table it to yes or no so right um i think that's kind of interesting in and of, in and of itself um and i'm curious too as to what other issues that's happened to in the past and what we'll like continue to sort of see there um i'm sure the supreme court and the 2020 election are kind of two examples of that as well i know we were also chatting about this a little bit earlier as well um mm -hmm. but with conversations about past elections um, and how oftentimes the vote kind of ends up in the in the courts, um, do you think this is going to happen again? Um, and if so, sort of why? I listen. I won't bet my money either. <laughs> <laughs> I won't definitively be like, yes, absolutely, the election is going to end up in front of this room court. But I'll tell you, I won't bat an eye if it does. You know, yeah. um, you know, we have seen it before. It happened with Bush v. Gore. Um, and like I said, two, well, Kavanaugh, but soon to be two, because obviously they're going to confirm her. Um, Amy, they're both, like I said, both of those were lawyers who worked, who worked during the Florida uh, elections, like stopping the, um, the ballots from being counted. Like they were a part of that process. So I absolutely, and I, 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 I bored y'all earlier with my whole hypothetical on when they, um, they're inevitably, I could see some, some Republican, um, <laughs> uh, governor, or somebody trying to sue to stop the ballot counting, especially because, you know, especially with this pandemic stuff, they're going to come up with all kinds of noise. They've been they've been basically planting the seeds of voter suppression and stuff for months and trying to call into question the legitimacy of voting and the election and all of this. So they're going to say with the pandemic and all with the mail-in ballots and all this different stuff, they're going to come up with some story on how you can't trust the ballots and stop the counting and they're going to sue and then it's going to go up to the court and then we've got the court we're going to have making the decision. So... 
I just hope it's a landslide so that I can't go to a court. But I did also like want to ask too, because I don't even fully understand this. Like what would the court decide if it does go to the court? Like do they pick a winner? Like how does that work? They, they, I wish I haven't read Bush v. Warren so many years. Um, (laughs) And I wish I had read it before now. Like I I should have done that. That should have been the right research to do before this. No, you're Um, But it would base it would depend on what the question is, like what they're challenging in the lawsuit. What the issue is, whether or not they're trying to say these ballots shouldn't count, or this and the next thing, or this whole process is illegitimate, or da 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 da. Um, so I don't know, but they do essentially pick a winner because that is what went down. They they definitely played your boy Gore to the left. I'm sure he oh, will tell yeah. you. Um, so however they'll go about it, unclear to me right now. But they they will they will lean it. They will give you who who your president is going to be. And yeah. if it goes, if that happens, if it goes to the court, we know it's going to be. Um, so well, I hope not. Hopefully Brett Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett are just using Trump to get their, <laughs> you know, career goals achieved. And then once they're in there, they're just going to like, maybe not. Maybe, not maybe I've seen. I like that. I've seen Gorsuch. <laughs> yeah, that's a good I, hypothetical, I, I feel like. I, I was, I understood that from like, from Gorsuch and, um, Kavanaugh like I was like all right okay you know what I mean I think I've seen you know them not to do necessarily outright egregious things maybe we thought we would in certain cases but Amy's record is is not it's it doesn't leave any I would listen if I'm I'm a defense attorney I'm in the business of throwing out a defense and being as fair to vote if I could but I don't got nothing to say for her it's bad it's just yeah. everything she said on it's like handmaid's laws tale. policy yeah it's it's I'm like what world is homie living in I don't even like what? What do you mean? I was like, she's, uh, she's Handmaid's Tale. Like that could never happen. And then Amy Coney Barrett stepped in the scene. I was like, <laughs> I've known anything was possible since Trump was elected. I've known yeah. like ever since that happened. I was like, oh, you had some nerve to think you lived in a world where things made sense. Two plus two equals four. No, yeah. two plus two equals ten. If they say so. Fish. Yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So yeah, I think people have every reason to be worried about her. She's a worrying. So that's why I picked her. You know. You know. Yeah go big or go home you know that's why he didn't yeah. even choose he wasn't going to give us someone moderate well this is definitely a conversation where kind of the premise of this show we always wanted to make sure that like we didn't just slam a bunch of like bad news in your face and that we gave some <laughs> sort of hope of like either something you can do about it or i don't know some again just a glimmer of hope of like that this won't just go to shit essentially hope. Um, but I mean, one way we like to do that is really give people resources to either like learn more or volunteer somewhere or take action in some way. But no, we have a few kind of ideas. I mean, number one is always vote. Um, we are in the thick of it. I've already voted and I'm sure a lot of people have voted. Um, so make sure you're getting your voter plans sorted out, your voter checklist, um, learning about your ballot. Um, but we also, you know, want to also push the Legal Aid Society and know that you can donate there and follow them um, in the work that they do. Um, another great one is Black Attorneys of Legal Aid, um, Lawyers uh, Guild, uh, NYC, the ACLU. Um, so these are all great organizations that are doing amazing work to combat some of the stuff we've talked about and keep us protected from <laughs> crazy, pure from crazy. All this, but um i don't know do you have also any glimmering shimmers of hope after all of this i don't know but hope but i will say (laughs) as a a channel to hope get involved with your your local elections like who are the prosecutors and the the district attorneys that's something you have a say in there are elections vote like research that right now there is the race for the manhattan a district attorney and you want Cy Vance out you you want him out i want him out we need him out um and there are nine candidates running so look into that they've been doing little town halls and things um three of the ones that are more progressive candidates um yanos and then there's eliza orleans and there is um court you can look at any of those people and hopefully pick one of them um so vote and donate to your local bail funds all good stuff so get to it people Well, thank you so much again. Thank you. Um, this has been so helpful. I mean, I feel like regarding the Supreme Court, I have been not really knowing what's going on or fully understanding it. Um, 
it made me low-key miss the constitutional law class that I dropped in college. Um, (laughs) But thank you so much for like walking us through and breaking it down. It's definitely been helpful for me and hopefully helpful for everyone listening. Um, Thank you. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. And again, let's not have this election go to the Supreme Court. Okay. Hopefully that really got hammered home today in this episode of how much we need a decisive election and we need everyone voting and using their voice. So um, again, we love to plug the fact and emphasize that you guys, our DMs are open to all of you. Um, If you have any questions at all about voting, slide on into these DMs. Like we are ready (laughs) for all of your questions, your voter checklist, your voter plan, all of that. We want to help you have a seamless voting experience this year please reach out and we will answer your questions. Um, And also, please subscribe to our show. We would really appreciate it if you can subscribe and leave us reviews on Apple Podcasts. That is super, super helpful with helping us climb charts and get noticed and grow. So um, if you want to be a part of that, definitely go on Apple Podcasts and subscribe and leave us reviews. But we are also on every other podcasting platform. So find us wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe or follow us. Also, I don't know if you know, but next week um, is one week before the election. And so don't miss that. It's our pre-election episode happening next week. Um, Subscribe so you don't miss it. And we will be talking to you guys next Wednesday. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description.